Blog Talk Radio. Thank you very much. It's wonderful to be back. 
Well, it's very nice to have you here. And you know what I love about your work, Lorraine, is that you have a way of doing that very magical thing of bringing that things that are open-minded and yet real to conventional people. Because really, what is conventional anyway? I mean, when it comes to real life and what is true, that's convention, isn't it? And yet we lose sight of that. Absolutely. And I think that it is one of the things about me is that I do have my feet very firmly planted on the ground. And I have a very practical and scientific approach to the work that I do. So it's it's very thoroughly tested and, and I need lots of evidence before I will involve myself in anything. And then I'm able to bring yeah. that that element into the slightly more esoteric things that I do. And so it is more grounded. Yes. And, you know, that is just so essential, I feel. I feel that you and a number of other scientifically inclined individuals who are exploring really the boundaries of our world, but not just the boundaries. I mean, what's real? What's right at the center? You're taking that evidence-based, grounded approach and helping everyone expand their minds, including those who might not entertain this sort of thing. Absolutely. And I find that more and more people are opening up to the fact that yes. there is more to us than than has once been believed and my my kind of uh my my reach I guess the the clients that are coming to me are now coming from such widely differing spaces that is quite incredible uh-huh. I mean people are turning uh-huh. up from the corporate world the banking world institutions that I honestly didn't think would would ever be open to to these ideas but there is a dissatisfaction yeah. for sure and and people are starting to question they want answers and they they want yeah. more satisfaction in their lives and they're finding that the old way of doing things just isn't working for them anymore yes yes now i know that we ventured into this a little bit last time surely but whenever i have someone and i haven't had a lot of hypnotherapists on the show quite honestly but not not a lot and yet i know that everyone is always a little bit curious about that kind of work you know in the sense of they either think well i could never be hypnotized or what is Mm -hmm. that you know is it safe do i do i feel comfortable with that and so um i was wondering if you could begin by exploring that too because it's such a basis of much of, of how you work with many people Yes, absolutely, and it is a huge question. And I'm, I'm currently at the moment, I'm teaching, uh, I'm teaching hypnosis to a group of medical students, and uh-huh. on the first day, there is always this sense of scepticism, and yes. there is usually, and even with my clients as well, there's always a little bit of anxiety. They always say, "I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit nervous. I'm a little bit yes. unsure of of what's going to happen." And yes. it's wonderful to be able to reassure them that hypnosis, the actual state that we use to access information, data, I, I call it files that are stored in the in the memory banks, is a naturally occurring state that we're all going in yes. and out of all of the time anyway. And in the sessions, we use certain techniques, relaxation techniques, uh, techniques to focus the mind to create that state formally. But I remind people that any time that they daydream, when their mind drifts off and they're not really aware of what's going on around them, 
those moments in between sleep and awake when they're sort of aware of what's going on but they're not really too concerned about it. And any time that somebody's really deeply involved in a task, and that task might be something physical, often athletes or endurance runners or people that get really, really focused on something that they're doing, they're all accessing this trance-like state, which is effectively what hypnosis is. And many people are more familiar with the idea of being in the zone or being in that state of flow when their attention really is just fixed onto the the, the thing at hand. Yes. And so when I explain it to them in that way and let them know that they're all going in and out of trance all the time, often many times in a day, Uh and all I'm doing is assisting them in creating that that state naturally and, and, and I guess more formally. And because it is just a focused state of attention, it means it shuts out all of the external information and it's much easier for them to dive into the memory banks and find stuff that's been buried away for a really, really long time so that they can explore it. Yes, yes, yes. I I think that people don't realize that that being in that zone, so to speak, that, that you talk about is a form of trance. And and we yes. don't we don't recognize the states of our own minds. I think is that just how mm-hmm. how expansive our minds truly are. Yeah, and the state is also very very similar to the state of meditation. And it's really interesting because when I even when I ask my medical students, give me some words that come to mind when I talk about hypnosis, and they say control and being made to do things that you're not. You know that you don't want to do, and it's all about uh-huh. the other person taking charge. And then I ask them about meditation, and they say relaxation, letting go of stress, uh, being calm. There are all these different terms associated with meditation. And I point out to them that the two states are almost identical. They're, they're both about focusing on one particular thing, whether it's their own breathing, whether it's focusing on a mantra, whether it's focusing on an image of some sort, and really fixating your attention on it. The the two states are almost exactly the same. It's just what you do there that's different. And so in meditation, the idea is to still the mind, to quieten Uh down the, the inner chatter, and that generates a state of calmness and if people are lucky, then insights pop up. But there isn't really anything to do in that state. So it's sometimes quite difficult when the busy, chattery mind is, is starts to get bored and it wants, you know, it's, it struggles to, to, to keep still. Whereas in hypnosis, it's more of an active state. So there's usually an intention, there is usually a desire to find answers or to create something whilst in that hypnotic state. So I find it much easier for people to experience because they see a point to it, there is a a purpose to it. So all the people that have struggled for years who can't meditate, when I teach them this process, they're astounded at how easy it becomes for them to do it. Yes, yes. Do you ever run into people who say, you know, my mind is private? Or, or, you know, maybe you're working with someone like who's in, in the government at the UK or something, you know, and they say, well, you know, I, you can't hypnotize me or, or something like, what about that? You know, that's a question I've always wanted to ask a, a hypnotherapist, because surely you run into that. Yeah. I mean, if it's being used in the military or something like that, what, yeah. how do you, yeah. how do you deal with that as a practitioner um, in terms of, you know, people 
protecting their mind, so to speak, and, and yeah. what's in it. Yeah. And, and this, this question does come up. Because, uh-huh. again, people are afraid that they are going to blurt out all of their secrets, that they're going to reveal yeah, stuff exactly. to me that they don't want to share. And there is a bit of a myth that when people are in hypnosis that they will always tell the truth. Uh-huh. So there have been many programs that I've seen where they have hypnotized people and asked them questions. And the implication is that this person can only tell the truth. And yes. that's complete and utter nonsense because people can say whatever they want to say. They're, they're never yes. in control or they're not uh-huh. being controlled by the hypnotist. They are completely in control all the way through the process and they can choose to share information or not share information and they can make things up if they want to. But yeah. generally when I'm working, there is a reason why the person is coming to me in the first place. Yeah. And what's really, really important is that we create a partnership and there is an agreement at the beginning of the session about what we're going mm-hmm. to be exploring and what we're going to be working on. And I have a very strict ethical code, and yeah. that means that I would never, under any circumstances, ask anybody something that was inappropriate. I would, yeah. never, I would never actually do anything that they hadn't asked for, and I would never challenge them in any way. And, and in my experience anyway... The you know people that um, you know have things to hide probably don't come and have this work done anyway. <laughs> um, but, you know they're, they're probably very unlikely to do so, and uh-huh. uh, there there are sometimes fears that you know we see lots of programs about yeah. mind control yeah. and, and people being forced to do oh, things. Yeah. And to be honest, it's <laughs> a very different process. To, uh, to to the therapeutic journey that happens in a, a one-to-one session with me. Trust is one of the most important things. So I take quite a long time. My sessions are quite long. They're, they're, about, uh-huh. they're generally about three or four hours because I spend a lot of time at the beginning really establishing that trust and really finding out who that person is, what they need, and, and getting really specific with them about the exact information that I need to go on a search for. And then I see myself as a bit of a spiritual detective because my job is to, is to dive around then once they get into that subconscious space and help them to find where the answers lie. So yes. it, it very much is about trust. So I've never actually had anybody, by the, by the time we're ready to go, that's had any concerns or any uh-huh. doubts. They're, they're always really keen to, to, to just go into the process and, and curious about what they're going to find out. Well, I think, as you say, that it has to do with the misconceptions surrounding mm. um, being hypnotized or being involved in, yeah. in any kind of trance state that that you're not, like, handing over control to anyone. I mean, that, no. that's not what it's about. Um, and and also the fact that you have to work with someone who has um, who's, who's proven themselves to be trusted and has integrity. I yes. mean, that, yes. that's the key. So, yeah, and I know. think that part of the confusion... Mm-hmm. So part of the confusion comes yes. from watching stage hypnosis. Or I was some of these, just going to say, they've watched too many movies. Yeah. <laughs> yes, the, the movies and, and stage hypnotists, who obviously yes. are not entering into therapeutic uh, experiences with people, and uh-huh. 
the key thing for people to be aware of is that in those situations where it appears people are doing things that they wouldn't ordinarily do or it appears that the hypnotist is controlling them, the minute somebody volunteers to participate in one of those experiences, they know that they're going to be asked to do things that are a bit silly and a bit ridiculous and they are actually, <laughs> in the moment of yeah. volunteering, giving permission to the hypnotist to give them orders. They are agreeing. They are saying, yes, I will participate. I'm going to go along with this. And they get to be the star of the show. And yes. quite often it's people that wouldn't, you wouldn't ordinarily get any moments of fame. So going up on stage and receiving the applause and, and, and generally having a lot of fun with it is a, is a lot more of the motivation. And, and so many of those people, although some of them are hypnotized and that amplifies their ability to do things, many of them are just having fun up there. Yes. They're exploring. I mean, that's that's yes. the key. Is is they're yes. freely exploring, and and I know that freedom is a big part of your yes. work. In fact, it would be very contradictory <laughs> if anything you did in freedom therapy would would somehow mm. undermine a person's freedom. It, it's really the opposite, yeah. isn't it? You're you're liberating people. You're helping them liberate themselves. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I see the work that I do. It's a little bit like feng shui, but feng shui mm. for the soul, if mm-hmm. you like, because when we take them into that subconscious place where, as I said, I see the mind as being a bit like a computer. So it's a bit like going into the hard drive and having a look and seeing what data is in the hard drive that's corrupted. You know, are there beliefs in there? Are there ideas or behaviors or aspects of, of them or aspects of their history that is is creating chaos or creating problems for them? And in that subconscious space, we can identify it. We can find out what the problems are. And by actually going in and exploring them and understanding what they mean, what the causes of them are, why they're there, uh, what it is that they have to learn from it, all of that means that they can then release it. They can then move on, they, and they don't have to hold that that file in the the hard drive anymore. We can we can effectively rewrite the the um, the, the codes, and um, it's been so wonderful recently because enjoying and and very keen to have evidence the work of Dr. Bruce Lipton who uh-huh. has been working on the field of epigenetics, has yeah. really backed up the work that I've been doing. And it, again, it's given a kind of scientific approach because he's recognized that our DNA codes, our DNA language is not set in stone, that actually yeah. it is changeable. And so I'm realizing that what's happening when we do this work, when we go in and we change these beliefs, we change these ideas, we change the feelings that that people have about themselves and the ideas that they have about themselves, that's actually changing the genetic coding. It is actually changing the language that is embedded into their DNA. And Uh so there are physical changes that are happening within them, both on a cellular and even on a kind of neurological, even on a, a molecular level, so that when they go back out into the world, they attract different things, they attract different experiences, different people. And now I, I fully understand the mechanics of, of what's happening. So it's that's been really wonderful. Yes, yes. I, I sense that there is so much we don't understand about DNA and our genetic mm-hmm. makeup. And I, I'm curious, because I know Bruce Lipton is, is certainly studying this a great deal, but, you know, mm. this seems 
to come up lately as well, since I know that you're an explorer of past and future lives. Um, Mm. How much, Lorraine, have you explored or are you aware of how that relates to us genetically? Lately, I've been hearing that come up more, and it sounds very fantastical. That's a word. I guess it's a word. It sounds very out there. Yes, I think it's a perfect word for that, (laughs) that we could somehow be influenced from life to life. Um, And actually another thing that's come up recently is just simple generational DNA, that it's, you know, something that may have happened hundreds and hundreds of years ago in your own genetic code um, may impact you. So so I'm just kind of curious. It's sort of an interesting topic, and I know it actually has come up on this show recently, and I'd like your take on it as to what you believe can be happening there. Absolutely, and it's it's something that's really, really important for me at the moment, and obviously my work is evolving all the time yeah. because I'm, yeah. I'm making more discoveries and, and learning things as I go along, and what I've realized that focusing on the events from past lives that that mm-hmm. will have influenced the the life that we chose in this life because if there was unresolved business or unfinished issues at the end of a lifetime then I believe our soul has to come back in and it has the opportunity to work through those tests again to complete them so I do believe that what we do is that we choose a family that we're going to be born into who will provide us with the correct circumstances and the, uh, the, the means by which we can run through those tests again and of yeah. course that also means that the the family that we're born into will have its own inheritance. There will be, through the generations, ideas and beliefs and, uh, and, and obviously physical um, experiences and, and things, illnesses and all sorts of things that will be handed down from, from generation to generation, providing us with the perfect sounding board for, for what we need to learn. Mm-hmm. So exploring the past lives helps to heal but, of course, what I realized when I was working with people is that we clear that information from the kind of, you know, the etheric body and from the, the, the whether you call it the Akashic records or from the, yes. the collective unconscious. So we're, we're changing that information by doing the past lives. But the programming that the person was born into and that DNA code is, even though it's been altered, there is still the information that came in in childhood, and the things that they learn, and the things that were passed down from generation to generation. Mm. So it's, it's why I created the kind of package of the inner freedom therapy, if you like, because I've realized now that I then have to deal with what they, what they are carrying in their current life blueprint, in the DNA yeah. messages. So yeah. my follow-up session then takes them into their childhood, in their current life Mm -hmm. and starts to look at the beliefs and the ideas that they picked up from their family and the fears that they carry or the doubts that they may have had about themselves. And of course, best will in the world, most families aren't always able to be present for their children. So there are often times when children feel either neglected or fearful or not good enough or if if something traumatic happened in the family, they often blame themselves because, you know, it's... It's not safe to blame the others because they're meant to take care of them. And starting to understand, you know, sending healing to the the, the wounded inner child part of self is very healing, but I recognize that wasn't enough because the 
the, the, the part of them that carries the wounding needs to know why. They need to understand why the, the parents or why the caregivers acted in the way they did. So then what I started doing was taking people back to witness what happened to their parents or their, their caregivers when they were small children. So looking at the information that was handed on to them. And it's so extraordinarily healing, particularly for people that were in difficult or abusive situations and, and where their parents didn't actually take care of them properly because suddenly the penny drops and they yeah. go, oh, my goodness, nobody loved them. You know, or they yes, were first forced to work too young or they didn't get uh-huh. to have a childhood and they didn't learn how to be compassionate or, or loving. Yes. And all they want to do is wrap their arms around that little child oh. and, and, and send them love. And that's hugely healing. But then I realized that also wasn't enough because that uh-huh. DNA, the generational DNA, is still affected. You know, why did that person's parents not take care of them properly? So what I started doing was Uh going all the way back and saying, right, I need you to go back to the very, very first ancestor who failed to take care of their families properly, who neglected them or didn't love them or didn't have the time to love them or or whatever the cause is, you know, whatever the reason. And, you know, even with the most practically minded, unspiritual, unesoteric people, they are all going back to almost primal really really basic lifetimes or or, you know wherever it is along the the generations but often they're going right right back to the earliest times when there was a lot of fear when it was all about survival and there just wasn't time to pay attention or to pick the children up and cuddle them and and make them feel okay they were fighting off you know hunger they were just in survival mode and then what happens is that the the person then goes in and communicates with this early ancestor and and lets them know that there's another way and uh-huh. lets them know that it doesn't have to be like that and that actually if they stop and take time to open their hearts and to support each other and to love each other and to nurture each other that they won't have to be afraid anymore and that as they start to work in communities and they start to share and they start to in- include those that are around them and they do it in a loving way, that they have a- the opportunity to create so much more for themselves and the people around them. And then I have them send unconditional love so that these early ancestors start to understand what it feels like. And all of a sudden, it's, it's as though the whole ancestral lineage, the whole chain lights up. And suddenly, yeah. and I say, what's happening now? And, and, they, and they say, oh, my goodness, you know, they're wrapping their arms around the children and they're apologizing. They're saying they didn't know, they, they, they hadn't realized. And every single time, you know, whether it was accidental or whether these people were just brutal, whatever it is, it just melts away. Yeah. And then they're able to see how those people could have been different all the way down through the line down through the generations, down through the ancestors, and they're able to imagine how those ancestors could have supported each other and taken care of each other, so that by the time it comes all the way back to to their parents when they were children, they see that their parents would have been loved and supported and nurtured, so that when they grew up and were parents to them, they would have been able to nurture and love and care for them in the right way. And that makes them understand fully that it wasn't their fault, that it really wasn't their fault. And so they're able to, A, forgive the caregivers for not 
giving them what they needed, but they also see that they had the possibility there is a possibility that they could have grown up in a very different way and then i have them imagine what it would be like to grow that younger version of themselves up imagine what it would have been like to grow up in a world where you were loved and nurtured and supported and they do that and then i have them describe to me what would that person look like what would they feel like and and you can see them they're like well they would be strong and they'd be confident and they'd believe in themselves and and nothing would stop them they'd be able to do everything that they wanted to do and i march them you know in kind of five or ten year increments all the way up to the age that they are now and i say and what would that version of you be like and they're like oh my god they'd be so different so strong and and fearless and and so brave and and whatever and i say well you know this is effectively this is part of you this is the potential that you have to be and then i reintegrate i get them to to breathe that aspect of themselves in and you see them physically changing in the chair and it's like the code gets rewritten because they take on board that fearlessness and that courage and the confidence and then i have them imagine floating into the future and imagining what their future is going to be like as that brave, fearless, confident person. And they describe this world that is completely different to the world that they were expecting or world, the world that they've been living in. And I tell you, when they open their eyes, they're different. And they say to me, they feel different. Yes. Oh, that's and then the reports I get back beautiful. later. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, in fact, I worked with a woman today. And Uh um, we did this with her about two or three weeks ago. And she said, I mean, she had a terrible childhood. It was really, it was very traumatic. And she said now, when she's trying to think back to those terrible events that happened, that whenever she thought of them in the past, it made her angry, it made her resentful, it made her, you know, really upset as to, you know, why these things had to happen. She said she can't find them. She literally can't find them. But the memories are sort of there, but, there is no feeling attached to it whatsoever. Nothing. Totally neutral. It's like somebody wow. wiped the slate. So, you know, I feel so blessed and, and so honoured that, you know, somewhere in the ethers, you know, somebody has, I'm sure somebody has been downloading these, these techniques into my mind because I don't know where I got them from. <laughs> but they're really making a difference. Well, they they... Really, um, it's like the entirely next level of therapy. I mean, it's it's unlike, yeah. and what I love about it, when you talk about um, truly empathizing and and there's that forgiveness, there's that eleva- yeah. element of total total forgiveness, and and that yeah. just seems so important. Um, Completely. How do you work with? Do you find Lorraine? That I know that when people have been through some kind of severe trauma, there can be mm. triggers, and they can even be irrational. Yeah. Really, the the triggers yeah. that just bring something up, and yeah. it seems like what you work with here would very much help to heal that in particular, because some of those are very unconscious. It's just a, a memory triggers, and they can be kind of unrelated, can't they? Just something that's similar. Or, you know, whatever, you know, these triggers that people have when when we've had a very traumatic event occur. Absolutely. And, again, this is why it's it's so fantastic working in the subconscious because when somebody mm-hmm. has a vague idea, even if it's just the idea of the feeling that comes up when those things are triggered, I don't really need them to know what the trigger itself is, but just mm-hmm. the emotion mm-hmm. that, that 
comes up, whether it's fear or anger or feeling out of control or whatever it is, when we take them into the subconscious space, I can direct them to the right place by asking, it's, it's almost their inner self, you know, their, their, I call it the higher mind, to direct me to the exact place where that trigger first started. And whether that trigger started in a past life experience or the current life experience, it doesn't matter. Um, But the higher mind is able to show me. And what will happen is that the person will then, in the trance state, will recall the event. It, It will come up to the surface. And because they're in hypnosis and because they're in a very calm, focused state and, you know, I create a, a, a very pleasant environment where they're, you know, they're in a recliner and they're, they're wrapped mm-hmm. in a blanket and they're, they're, mm-hmm. they're very comfortable and they're feeling really at ease. So yeah. even when the most traumatic memories surface, they know they're safe, they know I'm there with them and the trance state means that they are able to almost control the, the the level of the the emotion that comes up it's not free falling like it would be if they were just out in the outside world and the trigger comes up and yeah. what that means is that they can rather than because usually what happens when fear or anxiety or, or when a when one of those buttons has been pressed, the fear is that they will lose control. So what people yeah. tend to do is they tense up, they tighten up, they try to stop it, they try to block right. it, they try to stuff it all back down again. And that's part of what causes the problem. So I allow people to just explore the feelings that go with it and, and to allow mm-hmm. them to bubble up. And so oftentimes, and it's a bit of a standing joke at the end of my sessions, that I say, it should just say on my business card, she makes people cry. because it happens a lot you know people will go in they'll they'll recall something and then all of the emotions that were attached to that event that perhaps Mm -hmm. they didn't feel safe to release at the time or it wasn't appropriate to release it at the time or that they had just stuffed that memory back down again it comes up and it comes out and I say to them you know what it's really safe to let that go now you know allow yourself to feel it allow yourself to process it and just let it out let it go, and then you don't have to experience it. You don't have to feel it anymore. Because all of those emotions, are I see them as being like, it's like having a pressure cooker inside of you that's permanently mm-hmm. boiling, that, that's permanently on the, on the go. And that stuff needs to be released. It, it yeah. really does. And so, again, when that understanding, even if it was something very traumatic, even if it was something that was particularly unpleasant, I will then direct people to find out what the cause of it was, the reason behind it. And even with really terrible situations, when I get people to go and understand why the people involved may have committed those kinds of acts and they see what it was that happened to them to make them act in that way, even with the most horrific events and experiences, when they see the pain of the little child that that person once was, they're able to forgive them. Yeah. When they understand... What was, at the, what was at the heart of it and what led that person to behave in the way that they did when they see that it wasn't necessarily deliberate but it was just something that was really deeply embedded within that person and oftentimes, you know, whether it's physical abuse or mental abuse or mm-hmm. violence or aggression or whatever it is, if somebody grows up in that environment and they're faced with it day in, day out, they think it's normal. Right. They think that's how you behave. That's right. their blueprint for the world. So when yes. they grow up and they're interacting in the world 
and they have to reference, how do I behave in this situation? They go into the memory banks and they open up the file that says, how do I respond in this situation? And it goes violence or abuse. And that's what they do. And they don't think about it. It's not conscious. The majority of people out there doing unpleasant things to each other don't stop and think, oh, what would I like to do today? Or I think I'd like to be mean to somebody. They're doing it because it's, it's inbuilt into them. And they don't really have a choice. And so I've worked with people that, for, on both ends, people that have been the, the, the recipient and I've worked with people who have been violent and who have been aggressive and, and helped them to understand and release it. You know, it seems like an area where um, we often observe this kind of thing and we wonder if we're going to break the cycle is with children and cycles of bullying. Yeah. I mean, you know, when I was young, even girls, I mean, there was bullying. I mean, um, yeah. and and I know that we're doing things now in this new generation to, to look for it, but it seems like the kind of work you do could really provide a lot of healing. I, and, and, you know, we wonder, you know, where do these things come from, you know, when there's there can be a lot of bullying in the schools, and it can start fairly young. And, yeah. and yet there's a modeling of, that's going on. I mean, it just seems like it's passed down and, and that we can break the cycle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, of course, those that, that bully, inevitably it will have happened to them at some point in their world for them to know right, how to exactly. do that. Right, exactly. That, that's and, all. and they're that's often how in pain. Yes, yes. Yeah. And they're in pain and they, they want to lash out at somebody because by by doing it to them, it kind of releases the, the it makes them feel powerful when there will have been times when they felt very powerless. And a lot of this work is about encouraging people to really take responsibility for their own healing, their own journey, understanding what makes them tick and understanding when they understand themselves, then they understand the operating systems in other people too. So when I've done this work with people and they understand how their caregivers reacted or why they responded Mm -hmm. in the way that they did, oftentimes they come out of the trance and they go, oh my God, so my next door neighbor or the person at work who is angry and rude all the time, they're just a wounded child, aren't they? Who's, who's carrying hurt? And I go, yes. yes. And and I say, and what do you think that that part of them needs? And they say, my goodness, they need a hug. <laughs> you know, they, they need, they just need yeah. to be loved, don't they? And I say, yeah. So all these situations that we go into, where there is conflict, where there is anger, rather than going into a space of, oh, you know, I don't like that person, or look at them and the way they're acting, you know, how can they be so awful? When we take a step back and go. Why is that person acting in that way? Which bit of them is hurting? What happened to them to make them into that person that they are? And we find the compassion. We find that compassion within us, and and we see them as this little wounded child, and and that enables us to send love to them. And it doesn't mean that we have to condone bad behavior. It doesn't mean that we have to accept bad behavior. But it means that we can react and respond to it very differently. And and when we stay out of judgment and we stay out of conflict and we stay out of anger, that energy within us, that, that vibration of forgiveness, of understanding, actually starts to have an impact on the world around us anyway. 
and by carrying that energy i think we can actually change little by little the the world and and the environment that we're in because yeah. the as they say that the highest energy wins so when when we operate in the world from from that space it it does it filters out it has an impact on on those that we come into to contact with how much does your work help people to um want to give a hug to themselves <laughs> to, to love oh huge themselves. huge amount <laughs> yeah because in that first session that with well, the inner child session that I do you know the first thing that happens is that they they meet their inner child mm-hmm. the inner child comes in and the, the you know the the part of us that's locked away inside that there would have been for for most of us there is a part of us that that is in hiding who was yeah. fearful and, and maybe didn't feel like the world was necessarily safe or was going to give us what we needed so it's as though a part of self just hides away and uh stays in the shadows and it's incredibly moving when when the person in trance invites that part of them to to step out and and says I'm yes. here and I've come to love you and I've come to keep you safe and I've come to honor you and I've I've come to explain to you why things were the way that they were and to let you know it's not your fault and to let you know you're perfect and that you are deserving of love and all great things just because you exist that you don't have to do anything yes. or be anything to be loved you just deserve to be loved yes and it's yes. so incredibly moving it's it's so powerful, and I remind people, you know, we've got to learn to love ourselves because until we mm-hmm. do that, we can't possibly love anybody else properly. Until we learn to love ourselves, we are the, the majority of people are out there looking for somebody else to love them, thinking that's going to make them feel better. But of course, as soon as that person leaves the room, the love goes, and and then right. they're left feeling empty again. So I actively encourage people to learn to love themselves first to hold that energy of love inside of them all the time. And then when loved ones come and go, there is there there is no change. It's a bonus when the loved ones come in because then yeah. it's amplified. But they can leave and the person doesn't feel empty or lost and completely contrary to the very lovely Tom Cruise in his Jerry Maguire movie saying, come and complete me, which mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm mm-hmm. over the head for. Because for me, it's it's relationships are not about somebody else completing you. Re- relationships are about two people who are whole and complete coming together, and and sharing and, and creating more, but not needing yeah. to complete each other. We have to complete ourselves. Yes, yes. I you know I think that um, it seems like as we get older, we realize that more because you know one of the things that that we realize. I mean just just in the the realm of human experience people do come and go i mean if you're not in love with yourself so to speak if you don't have Mm -hmm. in a non-narcissistic way (laughs) the way i said that sounds (laughs) narcissistic but i mean just you know comfortable in your own self because we can all you know i i just i can't help but think that when we're really young and you know maybe you know we get married when we're young. Many of us have. I did when I well I wasn't mm-hmm. that young. But but in any case, you have this feeling. Um, you know, you still have to be comfortable um, in your own self because life changes. I mean, I can't. Yeah. I I've had so many so many friends who you know even even as people get older, 
um, they have to be comfortable. You know, something I think people don't realize is that although sometimes, you know, lifelong spouses go out together, they don't always. I mean, and so you have to be comfortable in your own self, you know, even when you're much, much older at any age. And I think that we don't always think about that. In our culture, it's all about, mm. you know, being completed. And, and then if you're with this person, oh, you know, it's just going to last forever. And and we need to kind of get beyond that kind of thinking because I think that we'll have much more satisfying lives over, overall, whether with um, someone or not. Yeah, and and we're not taught how to take care of ourselves. We're not taught how mm-hmm. to feel good about self. And it's interesting because even the thought of it, you know, we, we're concerned about being narcissistic if if we pay attention to self. Yes, and, and that's why and I it's know true. Even, it, it, even for me, it was a, a real struggle. You know, mm-hmm. I, I very easily take care of everybody else around me, but would often neglect uh, taking care of me because it felt like I was being selfish and it felt like I was being indulgent and it felt like I was, uh, yeah, being a a bit too narcissistic. But I realized along the way that when we don't honor ourselves, when we don't take care of self, when we don't really take that time to love ourselves, we run out of fuel. We run out of steam anyway. There isn't anything left to give anybody else. And yeah. we can't operate in the world in the best way. So we really do have a duty and a, a, a responsibility to take care of ourselves first. And, and more and more I see with doing this work is that most of the problems in the world are due to the fact that everybody is trying to change somebody else and trying to get them to do whatever it is that they want to do. And whether that is government, whether that's countries, whether that's different institutions, you know, everybody's got an opinion about what other people should be doing. And they all think that this one should be doing this, or, you know, if they were doing this, this would be better. And it's all about judgment. You know, my way's the right way, and your way's the wrong way, and you need to be doing it my way. And I really realize that actually we have no right to interfere in anybody's journey or to make a judgment about anybody's journey and the only one that we really are responsible for is ourselves and time and time again particularly with the stories that emerge from the 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 past life work where people realize that somebody who was suffering or somebody who was being challenged in some way in a past life or even in the current life that they had chosen to have that experience before they went into that lifetime because they were going to learn something from it. And when we interfere in somebody's path, we might actually be denying them the experience they need to have in their soul's journey, in the evolution of their soul. So somebody that's come in and decided that they want to experience what it's like to suffer or they want to experience what it's like to be homeless or they want Mm -hmm. to experience what it's like to be in a body that doesn't function properly. When we have a judgment about that and we try to fix it, we're totally interfering in their path. And if we do step in and interfere, nine times out of ten they're not happy with us anyway because they were quite happy where they were. But if we block them from having that experience, chances are they're going to have to come back in another lifetime and go through it again. So I've really realized that whatever experience a person is having, chances are it's absolutely perfect for them right there in that moment in time, and I have no right whatsoever 
to have any judgment at all about whether that is good or bad. Yeah. That doesn't mean if they ask me for help, I'm not going to help them. <laughs> but yeah, I'm not going to interfere. That was, that's, well, see, sometimes, you know, sometimes in certain... There have been times where that can lead to lack of compassion. Um, even yeah. in entire societies it can happen where yeah. um, where you don't necessarily help people who are having issues. And and I'm glad that you mentioned that because there's a balance, isn't yeah. it? There's a there's exactly. an understanding. It's a total balance. Yes. Yeah. But when yeah. we, we don't when we don't when if we if somebody asks for help, if they if they reach out and say, Could you help me? then we are that a, a contract then has been created between you and that person, and then you can help them. But when they haven't asked for help, when they haven't actually said, please help me with this, or I need mm-hmm. something, then we have no right to interfere. We don't even have a right to have a judgment about it. We just have to accept. And for me, proper unconditional love and, and real compassion is about having complete acceptance for everyone and and for who they are and where they are and what they're doing and just trusting that who they are and and where they are is okay and loving them anyway whether they're failing in our eyes or whether they're getting it right or wrong or whatever just trusting that who they are is enough and accepting them completely and utterly for who they are in that moment in time and and that's really difficult because i think we all have an idea about what we think will make someone happy yeah and usually it's because it. it would what make, would what would make us happy <laughs> yes. The two things don't necessarily mix. Very true. Very true. Um, and, you know, I think that what you describe, Lorraine, it really is a path to liberation and freedom in the sense that, you know, even when we understand this about our own selves, like say we're encountering some challenge. I mean, we're all on, on mm-hmm. earth having challenges. And if we can yep. somehow say... <laughs> You know, I had a family member with a potentially serious health thing that came up last year. It was a right. challenge. And and yeah. and I had to navigate through this that this is a growth experience. This is a growth experience yeah. for me. This is a growth experience for that person. You know, and and you have to to really um accept that and it helps. It is very freeing, I have found. And I'm yeah. sure where you take it is even greater because you work with the subconscious as well. Mm-hmm. And and totally free people from those limiting beliefs. Yeah, yeah, and, and really getting people to ask the question: Why did I choose this? Not yes. why is this happening to me? Which is a very different question because why is this yes. happening to me? Yeah, that is sounds very. Mentality. And maybe I phrase that because when we in a world of co-creation, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. I why mean, did I? Why did yeah. I choose this? Mm-hmm. What is this? Uh, what is this going to teach me? What am I learning from this? And I've always said that hindsight is always a great thing because oftentimes when people look back at events, they go, oh, now I understand why that happened. But it often takes people a really long time to get to that place. And I thought, well, I don't want to wait. (laughs) I don't want to wait until (laughs) months or years later to understand it. While I'm in it, I want to know why I'm in it. So I, I think my natural seeker's mind started to do that much more consciously and, and, and sort of in the present moment. And I think, you know, there, there's so much talk right, right now about mindfulness and mm-hmm. about 
you know that that focused state that that we create and for me that's what mindfulness is mindfulness is about paying attention to what's going on and yeah. and allowing ourselves to go inside and and focus and and become aware of these events and experiences and the people that come into our lives and and recognize what what it's about and and why it's yeah. there and 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 staying in our own power staying in yeah. in trust that where we are is is okay and and lately i've well sort of over the the, the last few years or so i mean i've always dabbled a little bit but i've been kind of experimenting mm-hmm. with mm. different ways of thinking and ways of mm-hmm. being and and my life can be you know it's 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 never the same and i travel a lot and i'm i'm teaching a lot and i'm i'm all over the place and sometimes it can be a bit of a whirlwind and things happen at the last minute and there can be a lot of chaos yeah and uh and we all know how the universe likes to test us sometimes just to see oh, whether yeah. we're going to stay <laughs> in these calm states and and i do get challenged along the way and i decided um to explore what it would be like if I trusted that every single thing that I was experiencing was perfect. Mm-hmm. Even the imperfect thing, even the things that looked imperfect, even the things that looked like they were going wrong. If I just stopped in that moment in time and thought, this is perfect, I may not know right now why it's perfect, but I'm just going to trust that it is. And I'm going to trust that, you know, this thing that I was trying to do isn't happening because something better is going to happen. That's what I'm going to yeah. trust. And yeah. Do you know, it's been so extraordinary because just when you think things can't get any better, <laughs> when mm-hmm. you operate from, from that mindset, it just does. <laughs> yeah. And and sometimes I have to pinch myself to think, mm-hmm. how? How are these events unfolding? How is this happening? And yes. I, yeah, and, and I spend a lot of time giggling to myself <laughs> because... It really, really changes things. You know, the perspective, the mindset that you have when you just let go and trust that it is all as it's meant to be. Yes. And your joy radiates, I must say. it. You know, people who have not actually met you, I mean, I've had the pleasure of meeting you, and not too long ago <laughs> we saw each other in Los Angeles. And let me tell the audience that when you see Lorraine, she radiates joy. <laughs> <laughs> and you do. You have a very, <laughs> a, a, just a, a a lively energy. You know, and I, I'm not sure. It, it, radio can't quite even contain it. And and I I I invite people to to go to one of your events because I, I would have loved to have seen your workshop. Of course, we were all very busy in L.A. But um, I was, and we're all involved in our. If only we could all go see each other's things. <laughs> I would oh, love I that know. sometimes. But but it you do I mean honestly Lorraine you well, do you. you rate it you can see it you can see your your you're walking the walk of of your own joy and and um, it's good to see that yeah yeah and but of course you know and the the reality of life is that I have challenges too I have well, of course you do you know that there are moments when 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 life will really throw stuff at me to test me to say are yes. you you know can you can you stay on this path. Can yes. can you maintain that even in the in the realms of real adversity, mm-hmm. and 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 I acknowledge that and I, I welcome that and I and I have a yeah. you know I have a grotty grumpy grouchy <laughs> side of me too you oh, know well, I'm, I'm, I'm sure definitely not I perfect. <laughs> no, I didn't want to imply <laughs> that either, but <laughs> yeah, you, but you, you see, have in the past. You, 
Mm-hmm. In the past, I think I would have been ashamed of that part of me, or I would have hidden that mm-hmm. part of me. And I'm 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 accepting of all aspects of myself. But what I have yeah. learned over the years is that if I do have to go into that space, I just make sure I'm on my own. <laughs> <laughs> I just make sure that I'm not inflicting that on anybody else. <laughs> you know, it, it's important what you just said in the sense that I think I think people tend to think that the various teachers that that come on this show and people just wonderful people, you know, that that everybody, you know, oh, it's just so perfect. But you know what? Everybody has challenges. I've had times where I've been going through something and I cancel the show. I have done it. Yeah. I've done it in the past year, um, more than once. And 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 that's just because I need my energy level to be a certain way. It's not a common thing, but but depending on what's happening, and, and we're human beings. It is important. Yes. And yet I will say something that I notice more and more about people who are choosing certain paths through life mm. is, is that joy is more accessible more of the time. And I know it yeah. for myself. I mean, I don't worry nearly as much as I used to. I still do. I mean, I still have my <laughs> but it's not like it used to be. And so we can yeah. sort of feel it. Within and you know what I, I think this this show today must be one of the records. I mean, I always say the show goes by fast, but I think this one went by just about as fast as any show I can remember <laughs> recently. I, it's like how can it be that it's 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 almost over here? I can't believe it. Um, but That's I will fun. tell you, yes, I want to thank you, Lorraine, for being here and and. Um, just what a delight you are and what amazing work you're doing. And I also want to give you the opportunity to tell people again where to find out about you and any anything you want to communicate here at the end, what you have coming up or anything like that. Well, thank you. Yeah, well, I'm I'm working on the next book, which is going to be called Inner Freedom. And, Wonderful. Um, I'm actually, and I'm actually coming back to the States at the end of May. Uh, I'm going to be uh-huh. doing a talk at... IANS up in San Francisco, I think it's oh. on the 1st of May, so that information yes. will be up on, on their website, and yes. I'm going to be doing a workshop on the 6th for them, where I'll be covering various aspects of, of the work that I do, and uh, I may well be popping into LA too, so I don't know if you're going mm-hmm. to be around, perhaps we perhaps we could connect well, up and... and uh, Usually I'm in Portland in that area. I'm up in the Pacific Northwest most of the time. But you never know. Occasionally I get down there. You never know. (laughs) You never know. And, um, yeah, so innerjourneys.co.uk, there is lots of information on there. Mm -hmm. There are some free recordings if people click on the media link if they want to explore what the state of hypnosis is like with a relaxation track on there. And there's also a positive past life track that they can listen to that will only take them into a a, a good experience and um the rest of the the book and the the cds which which take people on lots of journeys that are very healing uh they're they're all available on amazon or or at fintorn press yes yes well i certainly invite the audience to explore your work more because they're they're a great wealth of material on your website and and you've really produced a lot of things and I'm excited that you're you're working on your new book and looking forward to that so um thank you again Lorraine it, it's it's really been interesting and a true joy talking to you again thanks for coming on again oh thank you so much thanks for having me it's been wonderful all right well you take care you too and hope all to right. speak to you soon yes me too All right, just real quick to the live audience, because 
um, show's almost done today. Um, two more shows this week. I have one on Thursday, April 23rd, and it's 2015 for those of you listening in the archive. Um, Brant Morgan is coming on again, and that is at 12 p.m. Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, same time as today. And we're going to talk more about nature this time. Last time we talked about his Four Agreements game, and this time we're going to talk about his experiences in nature because he has a tremendous expertise in that area, and I'm really looking forward to that. Then this Saturday... April 25th, 7 p.m. Pacific, 10 p.m. Eastern. It's been a while since we've done it. A live reading show. I have Angel Lady Sue Storm on the show. She's even been on Comedy Central on John Stewart's show. Just amazing the places she's been. Larry King Live and Sally Jesse Raphael. And she is just very active doing all kinds of things. And she's going to be doing readings on Saturday night, 7 p.m. Pacific, 10 p.m. Eastern. FrontierBeyondFear.com is the place to go to learn all about past and future episodes. And thank you, live audience, for being here. Um, heading into the podcast now for just a second, and then I'm going to close down the show. I just want to say to those of you who've been listening to the recorded broadcast, your energy's been with us across time today. I say this almost every time and for a very real reason. And today we had a guest that talked about working across time. And I feel that we cannot remind ourselves enough that linear time is not what we think it is. And I feel you present with me now. And I hope you have felt our presence with you today, whenever you're listening, whether far in the future, whenever. And thank you for being here today and thank you for being in the community around this show if anyone feels called to support this show um, that is very much welcome as this show is a gift from my heart um, and you can find out ways to do that at frontierbeyondfear.com because this is a listener supported broadcast and energy is most welcome to however you choose thank you again for being here everyone and I hope you, too, have learned a lot today. I, I just love these episodes, just so much information and so many things to explore. So thanks again, everyone. May you find peace on your path today. 